0: Oh, that's not. Leader is very, very important. Can we set the time? Another 50 minutes, I think. So, completing your leader is very, very um, important. And I said, supportive ministers who complete are more important in that sense, they are less indispensable. Than those that actually support by doing the same things that the pastor is doing. We gave examples of Eve. If Adam had to choose between having another man that will help him in tending the garden and having Eve, who will do those things that he could not do, he would probably have to go for Eve, who will do those things that he cannot do. Do you get my point? Yes. So many times, when we say a church needs to do well because of the supportive team, it's not so much about, oh, pastor is preaching. We need for other, we need for the assistant pastors to be able to preach as well as pastor. That's important. That's okay. That adds value. But what about those things that pastor cannot do or is very, very poor at doing? Do we get my point? If we have so many people in the church who can all preach well, at best we'll say, okay, let's be sending them out to other churches as guest ministers. But where the value really is, is for us to have people in this church who can do things that pastors and HODs are not very good at doing, and they complete them. They complete them. So let's move on now. The next thing we want to talk about are attitudes, commitments, and priorities of a good supportive minister. Attitudes, commitments, and priorities of a good supportive minister. So we'll talk about three attitudes, four commitments, and Three priorities. The first attitude that I want to talk about is be faithful in little things. Be faithful in little things. And I think I've shared along these lines in this church before, so some of us may remember. Be faithful in little things. That's the first attitude. When we talk about an attitude, what do we mean? Yes, your mindset. Your mindset. Um, Philippians two five. Let this mind be in you. You know, let this mind be in you. Ephesians four twenty three. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A more modern translation says, "Have a new mental attitude." So, um, your attitude is your the way you look at things. The Your disposition, um, someone mentioned, and um, we're looking at three of them here. So the first one, like I mentioned, is what? Be Be faithful in little things, yes. You know, the subject of faithfulness is one that, in the body of Christ, the general attitude I see that many people have to it is this attitude that says, I will be faithful. People are always planning to be faithful. Always planning to be faithful. The truth is, as human beings, we will not tolerate people who are always planning to be faithful. Have you ever thought about it? Yes. I could give many examples to illustrate this. So many examples. Imagine, um, as a young man, a young woman, you meet someone, you guys start considering marriage. And then the person says, ah, I can be faithful so far as you have money. <laughs> as a man, what would be your attitude to such a lady If you are not faithful when I don't have money, you may not be very faithful if I have money. You get my point? Yes. It's just, we're not trying to be nasty here, it's just the truth. Imagine you are in this church, someone walks up to you after tomorrow's service and says, Ah, if I can just get 25,000 naira from you. And then you say, I'm low on funds right now. I don't think I can help you. And the person begins to create this picture. I need this money. If I don't get this money, I don't know what can happen. In fact, I need this money. I need this money. So you say, well, if you take it, how soon will you return it? I need just two weeks. I'll return it in two weeks. And then you press ping on your phone. You transfer the money. And then, by the Sunday service after that, even though you had no business in that part of church, you go around to that part and you greet the person. You greet them very well, just to... It's not like you're trying to remind them, but... <laughs> uh, you hey, yeah, Because the person said two weeks, but it's just one week. So you go and you shall greet them well. Then, the next, the next Sunday, you go and greet them very well again. You know, and they too, they greet you well. Oh, ah, 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 thank you. You know, how are you doing? They didn't say anything about the money. The week after that, you go and greet them very well again. They greet you well. They don't say anything about the money. So at that point, you say, please, I need that money back. And then the person starts to, you know, Talk about the country is hard. You know, this current government is not easy. Things are hard. Now, you see, when they took the money, it's still the same government that was in power. It's still the same government that was there. It's not like they took it under a a less, yeah, a better government. It's the same government, but they are reminding you that things are tough. So after you keep asking for a while, you just decide to let the money go. So, some three, four months after, they come and meet you again. Ah, if I can just get just 200,000 from you. How does that work? You know, really, if they had never taken that 25,000, maybe the 200,000 would even have been possible. But with the 25,000, They have shown that they are not faithful. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Yes. And that's why the emphasis for this attitude is be faithful in the little. Many people seem to imagine that they can show a serious lack of faithfulness when it comes to little things. But when it comes to big things, they would be faithful. It's not true. It's not true. Human beings don't walk that way. Anybody that is not faithful in the little. In fact, look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. This is Jesus speaking after he had shared the parable of the unjust steward. What did he tell them in verse 10? He said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. He that is faithful in that which is, least. so it means is a little thing, but you see, the problem is this. We are always hoping that God will judge us by how we plan to behave in future. Whereas he has already judged us by how we behaved in the past and we are behaving now. One area where people sometimes show lack of faithfulness is in the area of money. I'm talking about in church now. There are so many people that love God, love this church, but you can't tell from their bank statement. There's a problem with that. There's a big problem with that. You know, for some people, they just know that if God were to bless me with 100 million naira now, I won't use it to buy form. Some people know the form I'm talking about. Some people don't know. Let those that are ignorant be ignorant still. So, you see, some people know I'm not going to. I know, uh-uh, I, know I will just, first of all, pay my tithes. Well, you can say that. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. But the way I will judge is are you paying your tithes right now? You see, if you are earning 45,000 naira a month and you are not paying tithes, when you get that 100 million, most likely you will not pay. See what the Bible says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. It says, if there be first a willing mind, If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that which a man hath, and not according to that which he hath not. Anybody can plan to buy a car for Pastor Paul. "Ah, When I'm rich, I will buy him a car. Well, do you ever give him anything now? Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. If there is a willing mind, it is accepted based on what you have. It is accepted according to that which he hath, and not according to that which he hath not. So anybody that says, "I," ah, as I were a billionaire now at ah, this church, they will know. From your koboneer that you have now, let the church know. It's how you are behaving now. That is what will, whatever is dear to you now is what you will spend money on. You know, sometimes it looks like. Uh, I remember there was this young lady. She had been, you know, struggling financially for a while. And then she got a job with a tier one bank, a very good bank. And then. I started to see the way her dressing changed, the way, you know, the way she was really spending a lot of money on clothes, fashion, that sort of thing. And I said, ah, that I never knew that, you know, I said, let me remember my exact words now. I said, ah, in those days I used to see you as a very, you know, conservative person. She said, no, it's because there was no money that time. (laughs) She's a very blunt person. She told me straight up. She said, it's because I didn't have money. So, you know, if you had looked at her then and you said, oh, she's conservative. She's down to earth. She's not ostentatious. She said, now that I have money, I should not take care of myself. I said, please take care of yourself. But you see, the that had always been the inclination of her heart. So at that time, when she did not have money, if she was telling us, when I have money, I will support the church and all that, she's really just deceiving us. You know? The 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 inclination of your heart never really changes like that. Yeah. You know, sometimes they will say, ah, until you have money, that will know your character. It's not really true. In your poverty, what you are spending money on is what you will spend money on when you have money. It's just that it will be on a larger scale. You know? And you may not be so apologetic about it anymore. You know? People that suddenly become rich, they don't suddenly start drinking. Have you seen that before? No. He can graduate from, um, yes, from cheap drink to very expensive drink. But, the, the the desire, the inclination had always been there. It had always been there. You don't see somebody that is not really into cars suddenly become rich and then buys. You know, there are some cars that it's not even about the cost, now. it's about, ah, can you drive this car on a Nigerian road? But you see people make money and go and buy that. The desire had always been there. You get what I'm saying? Yes, so uh, the encouragement this morning is be faithful in the little. When you are not faithful in the little, you will not be faithful in much. In fact, the way Jesus said it, the way the KJV presents it, when you are faithful in the little, you are judged as you are faithful already in much. And remember, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it was verse 10, where the Bible said, Let this also first be proved, and afterward let them use the office of a deacon. You know? The same way God tells church leadership, prove men before you promote them, or you put them in one post or the other. That is the same way God himself proves people with little things before he promotes them. God always proves people. It's God's way. It's God's way. Look at um, David. David was a shepherd for his father. He was taking care of his father's flocks. And, you know, a time came. A lion came, a bear came to come and steal lambs from the flock. David would go after them, kill them, and take that animal back. You know, if you look at it, isn't, if, if you have so many sheep, so many lambs, isn't it wise, whenever a lion comes to take one, you prioritize your life, let it carry one lamb away. How stingy can you be that you have so many of them and you'll be fighting a lion? You know, some of these things, we say it and then it sounds, he fought a lion we say it just like that you know i was at university of ibadan zoo recently and one of the lionesses just stood up and stretched everybody scattered <laughs> now there were there were i mean there were barriers between us but we showed the animal some respect because the way it stood up and it yawned it didn't it didn't roar it just yawned just we just saw the teeth and So, to have a young boy, a teenager, go after a lion with a slingshot is incredible bravery. Incredible bravery. And, you know, he did that in secret. Nobody was with him when he did that. But because he could do that in secret, God could trust him to take on Goliath. God could trust him to take on Goliath. He told Saul, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will surely deliver this Philistine into my hands. He could trust God along those lines because he had trusted God with something smaller. A challenge we have in the body, sometimes we've not killed any bear or any lion, but we want to go after Goliath. that's just the way it is so it's it, you see because david was the kind of the kind of person who would put his life on the line for his father's flocks when god was looking for a champion who would protect israel from the philistines it was easy to choose david This one that would not let a small lamb go. He wouldn't look at one village and tell the Philistines, okay, you've taken that village. Okay, let's stop it there. You can keep it, but don't. Mm -mm. God knew David was not that kind of deal maker. This one will fight those Philistines to the last. That's the kind of... And God could trust him because he had been faithful in the little When you are not faithful in the little, you may continue. You know, when we talk about promotion in ministry, people are quick to think about posts. Okay, after I have been an ordinary worker, then I will become an HOD, then I will become a... Promotion in ministry goes beyond that. Promotion in ministry is primarily from God. Men will only recognize it. In church, they can give you any kind of post they want to give you, but really, it's God that promotes and he does it by recognizing faithfulness and giving you more responsibilities. God doesn't do titles. God doesn't do titles. It's not, titles are not the primary way by which God does his work. But the important thing is to be in that place where God sees you and says, he has been faithful with what he is doing now. I can trust him to do bigger things. You know, I'll give this example and then we'll move on from the issue of faithfulness. One, a particular set of people that I see that always have a challenge in this area are people who have pastored, maybe... At a place like campus. They were in university and they pastored. Then they graduate from university and they join a church like this. Many times you discover they are unable to function. Why is that? He was the pastor on campus. It's difficult for him to come here and not be the pastor. Do we get what I'm saying? It's difficult for him. So maybe he comes to this church, attends one service, two services, decides to join the church, and he says, Pastor Paul, I want to see you. Um, okay, how can I help you? Please, um, I want to know where I can actually key in in this church. You know, where I can serve. Because we have many departments you can, maybe one of the HODs walks in at that point. He's one of our HODs. You can serve in his department and say, eh, eh, Pastor, I was thinking maybe I can work closely with you. You know, work with you very closely. Eh, um, actually, there's no need. Just join any of the units. No. He wants to work closely with the pastor because that's the way to move up rapidly. And then maybe they say, Okay, go and join them in traffic and security. And be on the road sometimes when people are in service, says, Ah traffic and security. It's like you people, you don't know you don't know the grace of God that is on my life. If you knew the gift of God, but ah so after a while they are able to put him in ushers. Then one day, maybe the head of usher says, gives him money. Go and buy a bag of pure water. In fact, make it two bags. (laughs) And then as he's coming back, he just, ah, what if my fellowship members could see me now? A me. (laughs) Before you know it, he's gone. You don't see him anymore in the church. Why? Because... You know sometimes some of them don't even leave. He may still stay in the church, but he will serve with that attitude of "This is just for a little while." Have you met people like that before? Maybe one day the head of ushers shouts at him, "Why are you to be serious with this?" say ah, look, I know where I'm supposed to be." I know where I'm supposed to be. If not that Pastor Paul said I should just come and serve with you, I know where I should be operating. I know where my mates are. Whenever I hear people say that, I say, yeah, I know some of your mates are in the mortuary. You see, the truth is wherever you are, there will always be people that are ready to kill to be where you are. wherever no matter how bad it seems there are people that sometimes when a woman comes complains bitterly about her husband i said i always tell them madam i sympathize with you but you see this your husband there are women that are ready to poison you so they can marry him is the truth yeah, so If they knew they had the opportunity, they can just poison you, you go on, and then they'll come in. They'll do it without thinking twice. I'm not saying that so that you manage a horrible husband. We all want him to change. But many times, it is good for you to realize that even if you are not where you want to be, you are still better off than many people. But you see, this attitude of, ah, my mates are big boys, I know where they are. You are just... It's 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 wrong to have that attitude in ministry because while you see yourself as I have the capacity for greater things, they put me in ushers. I'm not even the hod. I'm the one that they're always sending on errand to far places. It is your attitude in that place of service that God is using to judge faithfulness. God never looks at you and says, ah, if only they had put him in a high post, I know he would have been faithful. For you to be unfaithful while you are in a lowly post, God has concluded, that means you won't be faithful. When they make you, you know, some people perpetually come late to church. But they know that if you were to make me Maybe one of the HODs or assistant pastors in this church, I will stop coming late. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Nobody will look at you and say, ah, I see this man's heart. I see this woman's heart. When we promote them. In fact, one of the ways I know amateur leaders is when they say, ah, This brother, his attendance in church is not so, he doesn't, he's not faithful in his attendance. And then you hear, let's give him a post to tie him down. That kind of thing destroys the church in the long run. Because you now have a lot of people that they are there because of the chieftaincy title that you gave them. You know, I say chieftaincy title because many of those posts, the person is not doing anything. But they are just saying, ah, chief, chief, chief. All those people that they give titles, what do they do? <laughs> what do they do? They don't do anything. It's just to collect the man's money. and, uh-huh. But he's not really required to do anything. Sometimes we have people like that in church. They just give him a post so that he can feel good about himself, so that he can... So, it's very, very important for all of us to be faithful in the little things. When you are not faithful in the little things, you disqualify yourself for bigger things. Look at one little known fact about Barnabas and Paul. Is I mean, if you see in Acts 13, the Bible says, um, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. But before then, in Acts 11, Barnabas and Saul had been sent with money to take to the churches in Jerusalem. They were sent from that same church in Antioch, you know, um, Acts 11, when, um, what's his name, Agabus gave a prophecy that there would be famine in the Middle East back then. Bible says the disciples determined to send relief to the saints that were in Jerusalem, which also they did by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So imagine if Barnabas and Saul had taken that money, supposedly to go and give it to them in Jerusalem, and then by the time they got there, Paul's version of how the money got lost <laughs> didn't match Barnabas' you know version. I don't believe that they would have been made apostles. In fact, Jesus said it that the place to look at whether you can trust people in ministry is primarily money. It seems to me that that is the um, that is the first place that we look. Let's turn to Luke sixteen ten. I want us to see this thing about money very well. Luke chapter sixteen and verse ten. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Verse 11, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. What is unrighteous mammon? Money. Money. If you have not been faithful with money, who shall commit to you the true riches? Jesus is pointing out to us that as important as money is, it is insignificant compared to true riches. Wow. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who shall give you your own things? See, <laughs> this issue of being unfaithful with money, is an important thing. It's an important thing. It's important because... It's very excellent for judging faithfulness. Sometimes, when maybe we have a new member on the staff, I look for a way to send that person on an errand and give the person money. Because exactly how that person behaves shows it's a good indication of how faithful or unfaithful they are. Sometimes someone collects the money and doesn't even come back to tell you, I've bought the thing that you wanted me to get. You just see that thing on your table. And you say, oh, hi, how are you doing? And life goes on. There's no report of, oh, I saw it. This is how much it was. Do you get my point? There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. There is a problem when you go and buy something and there's 30 naira change and you don't mention it. The 30 naira is not useful to me, but it shows your heart. You don't have a sense of accountability. I tell people if you go, if they give you 20,000 to go and buy something and you come back with 2,000 naira change. Bring the change and say, Sir, there's 2,000 naira change, but I want to chop it. I'll give you full marks. It's okay. At worst, I'll say, Don't chop everything, bring 1,000. You get my point? But that person, is it that if that person comes to me and says, Can I get 2,000 from you? I will say, No. Do you get the picture I'm painting? Yes, the same way I can say, take two thousand, ah, manage this one thousand. You can, that's the same way I can leave that change for you. But don't assume that you can keep that money. That's the part of it, because the, if you can assume on five hundred, one thousand, two thousand, who knows what you will do with bigger amounts. We've already seen how you will deal. You know, the current levels of corruption we see in the country today, where people are on a contract, they still like 70%, 80%. It started with 5%, 10%. If you go back and read the first, the first coup speech from 1966, they were complaining about the 5%ers and the 10%ers. Nobody is collecting 5% and 10% again. So many times, our attitude to money, it it displays, you see, one of the key issues with, or one of the key points to look for when assessing faithfulness is accountability. Are you accountable? When this person is sent on an errand, do they say, This is how much the thing cost. I spent this on transport. This is the change. And like I've said, if you even want to keep it, say, this is the change. But please, let me use this one for lunch. They may say yes, they may say no. But you've discharged your responsibility. You've shown that I can be accountable. Even the Bible says that um, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when it treadeth the grain. So for you to keep part of that money is not the big deal. It's the fact that you are reluctant, you don't want to be accountable, you don't want to be transparent and say, This is what I did with it. That's all. So when when someone is when someone is faithful to give an account in the little things, I don't know about you, but I let down my guard. I start to trust that person and see that the same way he's doing with this, you know, 5,000, 10,000. The day I give him 500,000, 1 million, that's the same way we'll come back and give an account. Because he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. It's very important. Let's keep it in mind. Um, You know, this issue of money and the way Jesus saw it, I think it's also good for us to pay attention to it. The way Jesus looked at money is awkward. Or rather, maybe I should say many of us would find it awkward. Jesus knew Judas was a thief. And yet, they kept the money with Judas. You see, of the twelve disciples, Judas was so unfaithful that the only thing he could be trusted with was money. He could not be trusted with the things that really matter. I'm not sure we got that. The way Jesus looked at money is, look, money is important in ministry. But it's not as important as what he called true riches. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who shall commit to thee true riches? So Judas was so unfaithful that, okay, maybe if he has the bag, he will be stealing from it. Give him. But you, these these other ones, I need you for things that are more important. I, I remember hearing the story of a man who was in the finance team in a church. So he embezzled money. Then they transferred him to Sunday school. That's a church that has its priorities wrong. If he was unfaithful with money, he would be very unfaithful in Sunday school. For me, I've been able to take Jesus. That's the place where I always test people. Let's see how they will behave with just a little bit of money. And then as you see, then you can start trusting them. Let's move on. Um, The next attitude we want to talk about, first of all, we said be faithful in the little. The next one we're talking about now is be that person. Tell your neighbor, please, in this church, church, be be that person. Well, what are we talking about when we say be that person? If you look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Jesus was talking about something called the golden rule. Do we remember it? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, that's a a good paraphrase, a good way of expressing it. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And when we say be that person, what we mean is this. Assuming you were the pastor of this church, how would you want all the other workers to behave? Do we understand the question? How would you want the other workers to behave? You see, whichever way you would want them to behave, you behave that way. If the way I am am behaving in this church is not the way I would want people in this church to behave. Assuming I were the pastor, then I'm being a hypocrite. Do we get it? Yes. If you would like, if you would prefer a church where everybody is paying their tithes and enough money is coming in to support the church, you be, be the person that behaves the way you would have wanted other people to behave if you were the pastor if you would have preferred for people to come early you come early if you had prefer if you would have preferred for people to not make trouble then don't make trouble you get my point whatever you would have loved to see if you know there is a yoruba prayer that at the end of the day is neither a blessing nor a curse I'm sure we know it already. Pastor Shade mentioned it. It's It's neither a blessing or a cause. It simply means your own child will treat you that way too. So parents typically say it when maybe the child has given them one big amount of money. But parents can also say it when the child has hurt them deeply. You know, essentially what they are saying is, look, the way you are treating me, may your children treat you that way also. I've seen this happen many times. Sometimes some people are not faithful when they are serving with another man. They are laid back. They act in a lax way, in a lackadaisical way. You know? They are not, they don't bring zeal. They don't bring energy to the work. And then someday, someday, they leave to go and start their own. And they want to do it with vim, vitality, and vigor. And many times it doesn't work. He just doesn't number one, laziness is laziness becomes habitual. When you have been lazy on somebody else's job, it becomes hard not to be lazy on your own. Then number two, you have sown a seed. You will just attract people who will treat you the same way you treated them in the ministry you were coming from. You know, in Galatians 6, it wasn't to unbelievers he was writing when he said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man shall sow, that also shall he reap. He wasn't talking to unbelievers. He was talking to people who were born again, tongue-talking, filled with the Holy Ghost. He was talking to Christians. So don't ever get to that place where you think, I can behave this way in this ministry, but assuming it were my own, I'll be different. Mm -mm. What to do now is to say, assuming I were the pastor of this church, how would I want people to behave? What kind of member would I want to have? And then simply go on and be that person. Let's move on. The third thing I want to say um, that's an attitude. Remember we said first be faithful in the little, the second one be that person. And the third person, the third one, do your walk as unto the Lord. Do your walk as unto the Lord. Don't join them in that thing called eye service. What is eye service? Eye service is when your service is different based on whether or gas eye is on you. I tell people, I won't judge whether you are doing a good job or not, but if the way you serve when your pastor or your leader is in the room is different from how you serve when they are not there, then you are doing eye service. And there are many, many manifestations of this. Many manifestations of this. You know... I don't want to put Pastor Paul on the spot, so let me not ask. But I can tell you for free. He's not planning to buy land for the Worker of the Year in this church. Are you planning to do that, sir? (laughs) I just knew he's not. If I suspect that he's planning to do it, I'll come and join this church. (laughs) And I'll take that land. See, Many times, eye service is ridiculous because the person you are doing the eye service for, the best he can offer you is, well done, God bless you. And Bible says you have your reward already. Why not do that work for the one who can reward you beyond what the leaders of this church can do? Why not do that work As though you are doing it for the one who is going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, one thing that is not very emphasized in the body of Christ anymore, I remember in those days it used to be emphasized strongly, but one thing that is not emphasized so much anymore is the fact that God will not just judge our actions, He will judge our motives. In fact, with God, the motives are more important than the end result. The motives are more important. When you do something supposedly for God, <laughs> you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they brought offering, and they, were, they died for bringing their big offering again. Because it's not about the offering is about your motive. Look at Simon the sorcerer, who also brought a big offering. Peter told him, your money perish with you. You know, someone mentioned to me that if it had been modern day churches, they would collect the money first, before they start rebuking him. But, Peter told him, your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. So our motives are important. The person who serves differently based on whether my leader is in the room or not is engaged in eye service. And there are many manifestations of this. You know, there are some people... If they are asked to lead prayers in the next service, when they come and they look around, say, ah, Pastor Paul is not around today. Ah, I wish he were around. At least let him see that some of us are anointed in this church. (laughs) So the next week when they see Pastor Paul, ah, Have you seen the video for last week's service? Ah, the service was, I like the way, I like the preaching. Really, really, what he wants Pastor Paul to say is that part where he led prayer. You know, there, there are, you see it all the time, all sorts of manifestation of, if only he can notice me, if only he can see me. In fact, some people will say, ah, that church, if you like kill yourself, they will not appreciate you. Anything you want to do, just do it for God. Just do it for God. That church, you know, that's a very funny thing to say. We talk as though doing something for God is what you do when you have tried to do it for man and man has refused to notice. You know, I hear that all the time, and it's funny to me. May I just just say, let me do it for God, because left to these people. What are you looking for from people? I'm not saying it is wrong for your pastor or your leader to appreciate your efforts. In fact, that is part of good leadership. But the primary person you should be working for, is God. The primary person who should see you and reward you is God. Do you know it's possible in the church for your leader to really like you, to appreciate you a lot, and then you get there on that day, and then it turns out that your motives were totally wrong. On earth, the pastor was saying, well done, well done, we appreciate what you are doing in this church, we appreciate what you are, but you get there and God says, hmm, now, what for you? It's very possible. Because the Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance. First Samuel 16. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. So, let us serve like those who realize that I'm doing this for God. I like an example Brother Tony Cook gave. He said, if you wash a toilet, wash it as though Jesus would be the next person to use it. If you arrange chairs, arrange them like Jesus is going to come to that service and especially look out for how the chairs were arranged. Anything you do, do it with your heart as unto the Lord. I like to tell people, it's important you learn to live for an audience of one. An audience of one. Let's round up this week by looking at 1 Corinthians. Is it 1 Corinthians I want or 2 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll just round off there and we'll continue some other time. We'll continue next week. First Corinthians chapter four and verse one. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Look at verse two. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now look at verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing. Everybody say a very small thing. Yes. But with me it is a very small thing that I shall be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Hallelujah. See what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, look, with me, it's a very small thing if you judge me. A very small thing. It's not a big deal. There are times when humans will say, you have done well. There are times when they say, you not, you have not done well. It's important to take their feedback. Why is this person saying, I have done well? You know? Can I learn from this experience and repeat, you know, sustain that doing well? Or why is this person saying, I have not done well? Are there lessons to learn so that I can improve and be better? But the ultimate judge is God. You know, see Paul writing about God bringing the hidden things of darkness to light. There is a, there is a time when <laughs> God will judge all of us and show, you know, this was your motive in doing this thing. This is why you did it. It's not like you did it from. Sometimes you give people money because you know, "Ah, ah, they are rich, they can give me back. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. And whereas there are some people, they are poor, they can never give you back, so you give them very small. Paul said, judge nothing. There are some people that we are celebrating as great men of God on this side. Is until we get to the other side that we will know whether God shares that opinion. Do you see what I mean? Yes. So, learn to live for an audience of one. Learn to live such that, you see, every time people are praising you, praising you, you know, learn to remind yourself ah if only god will praise me too at the end of the day because all of man's praises will be inconsequential in eternity think about everything we celebrate people for today whether in the church or outside the church Look at all the things we appreciate people for. Oh, he is this, he is that. I like him because all of those things will become irrelevant in eternity. At that point, only God's opinion will count. I remember I read a story of a young man who wanted to learn the piano classically. You know those people that they learn how to read music. And they learned to play very complicated classical pieces. And then this guy spent years, maybe some four or five years, learning how to play the piano. And at the end of the day, um, he held what is called a recital. He had a recital where um, friends and family, other people who were, maybe bought tickets, they all came to listen to him in a very large hall. And he sat down and he played for them. Played over and over again. And at the end, when it was done, he got a standing ovation. Everybody stood and clapped for him because it sounded so beautiful. And at the end of it, this young man was crying. So at first, they thought it was tears of joy. But he said, Why are you crying? You've had a great recital here. He said, I noticed that there was that man that just sat down, didn't clap. He was just looking. He said, what's your own with the man? He said, that's my teacher. All of you that are clapping, is because you don't know music. (laughs) The person that knows music and knows how all those things were meant to sound is saying you didn't try. In the same way, it's very, very possible that on this side you will be celebrated of men. But because you didn't do your work as unto the Lord, because a lot of it was eye service, God will just be looking. When you are ready, you will start ministry. Sometimes I discuss with people and say, I want to do this. And you ask why. And immediately they give the reason. Ah, I want to start lamenting. We're going to spend so much time and effort and, you know, whatever, just so that. Why not let us do this thing as unto the Lord? Why not let's do this thing? And people will talk, but we'll know we obeyed God. We did what God said to do. Well, I think we've... Um, We've concluded the three attitudes. When we come back, I believe it's also 8 a.m. When we come back next week, we'll continue with um, the four priorities, sorry, the four commitments and three priorities of a supportive minister. Um, Can we take one or two questions? Do we have questions? Do we have questions? Wow. You know what they say? If you don't have questions, it's either you are totally confused or you are totally enlightened. Okay, well, if you want to postpone the questions still I, I think it's always better to if you are not having the classes on consecutive days, I think it's always better to do questions immediately after the class because some people who have questions today may have forgotten them by next week. Do you get what I mean? And even if we try to answer it then, the context in which the question came may no longer be so um, be so fresh to me or to you. But sometimes we we'll deny, I never said that, really because you've forgotten the context in which you said it. So that's why I feel if we have questions, let's just quickly address them questions 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 just one who else two just two questions okay i'm asking because i don't want people that have questions after they heard the answer to another person's question so just two people right okay let's do that and round up
1: thank you sir for an enlightening time
0: um, I my question
1: is with respect to. My question is with respect to, um, what you said about multiplication, and addition, when it comes to growth. Um, and my question is this: um, Would there ever be a situation where a church has good leadership? and good followership, and all they have is additional growth and not multiplied growth. Um, will you always have multiplication if the leadership and the followership are doing what they're supposed to do? And the reason why I'm asking this question is against the backdrop of a situation where I think it was, um, there was a meeting in which I think I, I learned That uh, an altar call was made, and only one person came up in that altar call. And that person turned out to be um, Billy Graham. And then we, we can see for ourselves what he amounted to and what he did for God. So, will we always have multiplied growth, even when we're doing everything that we should do, both at the leadership and supportive?
0: Okay, thank you very much, sir. That's actually a good question, um, but I'm reluctant to answer it because <laughs> okay, I'll explain why I'm reluctant to answer it. I'm reluctant to answer it because we didn't really teach along those lines. This course is not about that. I only said it yes, in passing. Um, I think sometimes we call it a side comment. You know, um, if we wanted to show the difference between multiplication and addition, whether a church should grow or if it's okay for it to remain small, we, sh- we need to teach extensively about that. We can't just put it in an answer. You get what I mean? Because if we do that, it will probably raise more and more questions. That the only reason why those questions are coming is because we didn't lay foundation by teaching. What I'll say anyway is, look, Um, it's okay. It's okay for a church to add if that's what you want. You you understand what I mean? Yes. Um, The problem is that most people really want that multiplication. The only reason is they don't know how to go about it. You you get what I'm saying? Yes. So, if you don't mind, if you want to stay at the addition level... Is not a bad thing. It's not a, it's not something that will come out and say, well, the, you are not doing well because all you are doing. I mean, Bible says in Acts 2, the Lord added to the church daily such as we're being saved. So it's not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean the church is a bad church. But I'm just saying that there are, if multiplication is what you want, there are ways to go about it. That's all I'm saying. And then, you know, um, holding a meeting where one person got born again does not necessarily mean that what, what is happening is addition. You know, if you have a meeting where there is only one unbeliever, we should be very grateful if only one person got saved. Yes. It means that all the unbelievers there got born again. So, those things are not always indicative of how things should be. You get my point. But let's take the other question.
2: Okay. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, ma'am. Okay. You spoke about serving not unto man but unto God. Um, In a situation where your leader is frustrating your life. Like, he's making things difficult for you. Not my own MD, Shami. I love my own MD, but... Like, in a situation where you want to serve, like, genuinely want to serve, and you join a department, and the leader is not the easiest person to deal with, and everything you do, the person always finds fault in it, you know? So, but you really want to serve, and you are... No, well, you keep going, child. you keep going, and then you get to a point where you, you feel like you cannot take it any longer. What would you advise the person to do? Like, do you think it would be okay to just switch to another department and maybe you're in the choir and you know you're talented in singing, but then you probably just give up on that and then maybe go to... Um, ushering or something else just because, you know, the leader is not the easiest person to deal with? Like, what would you advise the person to do in that instance?
0: Okay, thank you for the question. Um, This sort of question, I'm also a bit reluctant to answer. Um, Because you've painted a scenario now of a difficult leader. Number one, I don't know if the leader is actually difficult or not. You know, um, Sometimes when you hear one person talk about my leader is difficult, it may be that that leader is actually very difficult. And it may also be that the leader is not difficult at all. You are the one who is difficult. So, But if I answer that question from the perspective that you are right, you may live with this sense of, even when they brought an expert to come and address the issue, he said that, do you get my point? Which may not necessarily be the best course of action if one has not listened to the leader and, you know, have them talk about you also. So, but, you see, the truth is, doing your work as unto the Lord, it really has it has little or nothing to do with the yeah with the leader you get my point yes in fact what it is telling us is whether your leader is good or not whether your leader deserves it or not whether your whatever it is do that thing as unto the lord you get my point you know if if a leader is always finding fault and says look, this is how I want this thing. Because you want to please that leader, if the leader is around, you would do it the way they said to do it. Do you get what I mean? Yes. For example, if when I'm sweeping, some people can be particular about this. When I'm sweeping, maybe I don't lift up the chair and sweep under the chair. I just sweep around it. Sometimes the leader will say, no, 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 no. If you are going to sweep, move the chair and... How many people can relate to what I'm saying now? Yes. Yes, Yes, some... Well, my mother was like that. You have to carry it up and sweep under it. Now, if she's not around, what would I do? (laughs) I'll just sweep around it. But doing your work as unto the Lord means if you understand the reason why she wants you to move that chair, then... From that time on, whether she's around to see or not, you pick up the chair and you sweep under it. So do you get what I mean when I say doing your work as unto the Lord has nothing to do with the whether the leader is easy or difficult to work with? It means you even go above and beyond what the leader is demanding to say, well, if this is what it means to do this work well, I will do that work well whether you are here to see me or not. Have I tried to answer the question? <laughs> okay. So, um, thank you very much. It's been a great time here. You've been a delightful audience as usual. Look forward to seeing you